Welcome to the Mutual Audio Drama Network. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. Once again, Decoder Ring Theater presents another page from the casebook of that master of mystery, that sultan of sleuthing, Martin Bracknell's immortal detective, Black Jack Justice, starring Christopher Mott as Jack and Andrea Lyons as Trixie Dixon, girl detective. They say the truth is in the eye of the beholder. Okay, they don't say that at all, but they should. Truth might not have originated the phrase, but it deserves it more than beauty. Some beauty is just too obvious to be open to debate. The mysteries of the universe have been hashed and rehashed since the beginning of time, but I've never stumbled across a truth that people could agree on like Betty Grable. That aside, truth is important. And it's been pointed out to me more than once that I might not paint a completely objective picture of private detective work. Some folks say that if you listen to old Black Jack tell it, you'd think being a Seamus was nothing more than a long nap in a bare office, broken up by occasional car wrecks, B-girls, gunfights, and concussions. Nuts to them, I say. They want to tell it they should walk a mile in my suit. Maybe they already have. Would explain how it got so wrinkled. The truth of the matter is, if you've got to be a detective, be a private one. Sure, you miss out on the steady paycheck, but you never have to go out looking for crime. Sooner or later it comes walking through your door, grinning like the cat that swallowed the canary. Nicholas Franklin did a lot of grinning. It was the grin of a man that was extremely satisfied with the place he'd carved for himself in the cosmos, and he beamed in in every direction as he lolled in the second-best chair in our office that Friday morning. It was a disarming, toothy grin, and if he hadn't been the closest thing we'd seen to a client in weeks, I'd have cheerfully smacked it across the room into the wastebasket. My partner did not seem to share this viewpoint. Well, it all sounds very exciting, Mr. Franklin. I don't know much about modern art, but it seems like a very interesting exhibition. Would you like some more coffee? Thank you, Miss Dixon, I will. It's excellent. Thank the surly one with the square jaw. He brews it. I'm only permitted to pour. Really? Well, Mr. Justice, you must tell me your secret sometime. We can swap recipes later, Mr. Franklin. For the moment, I'm more interested in where Jack Justice Investigations comes into play in this festival of the obscure and shapeless. Jack? You don't care for modern art, Mr. Justice? I like it fine. It's nothing to be embarrassed about. Some people find it disconcerting to have their perceptions of reality challenged in such a striking fashion. And some people prefer to have their perceptions of reality challenged by a bottle of bourbon. Fair enough, Mr. Justice, but I think you'll find my gallery's exhibition leaves you with less of a hangover. Jack didn't have an answer for that, but the corner of his mouth moved upward, ever so slightly before he could hide it with his coffee cup, and his focus shifted for the first time from the pattern of raindrops running down the cracked window pane and settled more or less directly on our would-be client. It wasn't much, but for Jack, it was a pretty big display, and Nicholas Franklin was perceptive enough to be almost as impressed with it as I was. He was on the tall side without being impressive. Maybe six foot in his shoes, maybe not quite. A fit but not athletic build under a gray, beautifully tailored suit. And fine, soft-looking hands with long, tapered fingers and fingernails that were just a little bit too perfectly manicured. I had heard of starving artists. Apparently they were starving for the sake of the Franklin fingernails. There were worse causes. He owned a small but growing art gallery in town, one of the few that specialized in the avant-garde. I admit it. I'm a sucker for men I could never stand to be with. 
and the dainty, well-spoken Mr. Franklin certainly fit that description. But for your sake, Mr. Justice, I will... Oh, what is the expression? Uh, cut to the chase? Is that it? That's one of them. My gallery's new exhibition is opening tomorrow night. It's a bold and striking show featuring the work of a number of my discoveries. A number of how much? Artists, Jack. Do try and pay attention. Should I sit up straight, too? Chief among the luminaries on display is a young sculptor who has just returned from Europe. A brilliant young man whose career is about to blossom. Mr. Franklin, it's a little too ten in the morning for the sales catalog. The man's name? Bradford. First or last? Both. Swell. Lots of people only have one name, Jack. Oh, sure. I used to date an Italian girl who had seven, so it all balances out. Bradford will have several pieces in the show, but the most significant is Thor's Hammer. Thor's Hammer. What's that? It is a bold, breathtaking spectacle of a piece. A startling challenge to both God and man. Forget it. I'm sorry I asked. It's a sculpture, Jack. Isn't that right, Mr. Franklin? That is exactly right, Miss Dixon. One of the most important I have encountered in my career. And it is the security of that piece that brings me here to you today. Security? No offense, Mr. Franklin, Since tall, dark, and churlish only says no offense right before he says something incredibly offensive, maybe I can... I'll be good. You won't. I will. This dingus, this, uh, what do you call it? Jack. uh, This Thor's hammer. What do you reckon it's worth? <laughs> Mr. Justice, the art market is highly speculative. A rough estimate. A young artist of Bradford's potential. Ballpark. There really is no limit. What's it insured for? A quarter of a million dollars. Trixie, get your hat. Jack didn't know much about art, but he knew what he liked. And a client who could afford a policy that large was very high on his list of favorite things. We went with Mr. Franklin to his gallery downtown. We stepped through an enormous white door at least 14 feet high and passed through a large foyer, which was already being dolled up for the reception to come. We passed through a set of double doors, each one as tall as the main door in the front and almost as wide, and passed into the gallery itself. It was a large open space, and the beams, like the massive doors, betrayed it for the converted warehouse that it was. But what a conversion! The room was bright and clean to the point of being antiseptic. The floors, the walls, everything, all the crisp, starched white of a nurse's uniform. In the ceiling was a tremendous skylight through which beams of light fell onto the floor in wide, luxurious pools. The walls were festooned with object art that I was going to have a lot of trouble defending from Jack's ridicule. Old Squarejaw himself was strangely silent until I saw the behemoth on which his eyes were fixed. In the center of the room was a statue, I guess. All bent and twisted metal, maybe twenty feet high, eight feet wide in places. God only knows what it must have weighed. Like the burnt-out wreck of some great machine whose purpose I could only imagine. It twisted in every possible direction, and if there was a reason for any of it, I couldn't begin to guess at it. They say that modern art is about the way it makes you feel. If so, this thing should have been called boredom and contempt. It took a minute to notice the man standing in the shadow of the monstrosity. He was equally unimpressive, but in very different way. Maybe 5'9", maybe not so much... Hair a sort of mousy brown and longer than looked quite right on a man. He watched us intently. After a moment, I realized he was waiting for a reaction. I did my best to give him none. Mr. Justice, Miss Dixon, this is Bradford. Hello. Mr. Bradford. Just Bradford. Swell. Well, Franklin, we've come all this way. Where's this dingus? This what? Mr. Franklin has some concerns that someone might try to steal one of your sculptures, Bradford. Yes, Thor's hammer. I don't want to sound like a broken record. You are standing in its presence, Mr. Justice. 
This? Jack. No, no, I'm all right. It's just... Jack. Let a fella talk, Trix. Franklin, for the moment, leaving my barbaric attitudes to the lively arts out of matters, what makes you think, even assuming someone wanted to steal this giant hunk of metal, how could they possibly hide it under their hat? Nicholas? I don't know, Mr. Justice. All I know is that throughout Bradford's European tour, he was besieged by those who had become obsessed with the work. I'll bet. Any specific threats, Mr. Franklin? We had a number of offers for it, of course. But I felt that the piece would fetch an even better price once it had been shown to North American buyers as well. No doubt some did not take kindly to the refusal to sell. At the time, Bradford himself began to receive threatening letters. Did he save any? Why would I? What kind of... Critton would try to take what he wants through threats or intimidation. Kid, if this sculptor thing doesn't work out for you, get as far as you can from any major metropolitan center. Are these purchase offers, who are they from? Alas, Miss Dixon, the art world is very secretive. The inquiries came through agents. The buyer's true identities are often unknown. And these agents dealt with you, Mr. Franklin? Bradford is one of my discoveries. Young artists whom I provide funds to for the creation of works that will propel their careers for many years to come. Goodness of your heart? Not at all, Mr. Justice. As the interest in the artists increases, the value of their early works increases. As does my profit when I finally decide to sell. This dingus doesn't come apart? Of course not. So it could only come in through those oversized doors in the front? Obviously. Savages. The Nicholas, is this really necessary? Shh. That door in the back there, it open? I think so, but you'd have to duck your head to walk through, Mr. Justice. It's impossible for something the size of Thor's hammer to pass through. What's out there? Eight-foot drop into a blind alley. Do you have any copies of those purchase offers, Mr. Franklin? No, they were mostly telephone messages. I didn't think... People usually don't. We'll need a copy of the itinerary from the European trip and a complete guest list for the opening reception on Saturday. Mr. Franklin, I assume that's no trouble... I'll have to fetch the itinerary from my home. I could bring it right over. Good. We'll make some preparations and then stake out the building. Your statue will be perfectly safe, Bradford. Come on, Trix. Okay, hotshot. True or false? As long as we're watching the giant doors, no one can steal the giant statue? True. So what's with the itinerary and the guest list? You know what I always say, Trixie. If it was an easy job... They wouldn't have called us in the first place. Right first try. We know anyone at the newspaper that covers art. Does arson count as art? I wish it did, Trix. I really do. You are listening to Blackjack Justice from DecoderRingTheater.com. Excuse me, you're Clarence Walsh, aren't you? That's right. Trixie Dixon, girl detective. We spoke on the phone. Yes, of course. Why, Miss Dixon, you are exactly as I pictured you. Thanks, I guess. Your paper said I might find you at this lunch counter. Mind if I join you? Please do. Have you dined? Nothing for me, thanks. The coffee here is surprisingly unlike warm tar. Well, if you're gonna lay on the hard sail... Coffee for the lady, please. I must say, this isn't the sort of place where I expect to find a big art critic like yourself. I have tried that argument with my masters at the Gazette. It has, so far, failed to result in any surprisingly large pay increases, Miss Dixon. Trixie, please. Only if you will call me Clarence. Our crime reporter, Mike Rogers, tells me you and your partner are most anxious to speak with me. Yes, sir. I don't believe my opinion has been sought by private detectives before. It's all terribly exciting. How may I be of service? 
We're working for Nicholas Franklin. The exhibition tomorrow. Are you going? My dear child, there are not so many openings in this sordid little burg that I am unable to attend them all. And miss one of Nicky Franklin's? Never. The art's that good? The art comes and goes. The food is divine. Everyone will be there, I assure you. But for the crab puffs, not for Bradford? Bradford? Oh, darling. Nicky Franklin has shepherded a number of very talented artists, some of whom are now doing quite well. In this business, that's a remarkable achievement. But they can't all be winners. You don't care for his work? I haven't seen it. But how... My dear, that is the nature of my trade. If you are a critic working somewhere other than Paris or New York, and even then only for certain publications, you must be cautious. Deviate too far from the opinions of the high and mighty, and you're taken for a fool. Pay it too much homage, and you look like a toady. One learns to walk the line, or one loses this lavish lifestyle of meatloaf specials. I do look forward to seeing Mr. Bradford's work, but I'm afraid his fate was sealed months ago in Europe. Didn't go over that well. Quite. But also not poorly enough. You see, in the absence of lavish praise, the best an artist working in the avant-garde can hope for is to be roundly condemned. I'm sorry? If one inspires enough vitriol from the right quarters, if one is labeled a fraud, a heretic, a barbarian at the gate, that too can create enough of a storm to propel one forward. And Bradford? Ruled, competent, but uninspired. A mediocrity, a death sentence, which I am largely powerless to repeal. But Mr. Franklin told us there had been offers for Bradford's work. Offers he'd turned down in expectation of more. Perhaps. The offers might have been sincere, or they might have simply been paper to increase the chances of someone with more money than taste on this side of the Atlantic helping Franklin to recoup his losses. His losses? He has invested a good deal of time and money on young Mr. Bradford. Even the deep pockets of Nicky Franklin can bear only so much abuse. I thanked Mr. Walsh and offered to pay for his lunch for his trouble. He refused politely. Didn't turn it into a line or a pickup, even though something in his eyes had the good grace to suggest he might like to. It's a fine line to walk, making a lady feel complimented but not compromised. Whatever else Clarence Walsh was, he was a class act. I left him at the counter and made my way across town to join Jack at the gallery. I was six blocks away when I saw the prowl cars blocking traffic. My heart jumped up into my throat. From three blocks away, I could hear the newshounds bang at Henderson, the police spokesman. I could see Bradford sitting on the steps, his head in his hands, apparently oblivious to the cameramen around him. I had to get inside. I found a patrolman I knew named Michael. He was something less than a class act, but he had gray eyes and strong, smooth hands, and you don't need to know how I knew that. He waved me past the police barricade with a good-natured leer, and I ran up the steps, through the main door, and into the gallery. The first thing that hit me was the strange, acrid smell hanging in the air. Then I saw it. There, in the expanse of open, white space, in the middle of the sunbeam that filled the center of the room from the skylight overhead. There, surrounded by a choppy sea of blue uniform, stood Jack, more or less exactly where Thor's hammer had been a few hours ago. Afternoon, Trix. So, how's your day been going? The inspector robbery sent over went by the name of Rustin. I didn't know him, but he'd eyed me suspiciously when he heard my name, so my reputation must have preceded me. I'll tell it to you like I told it to him. Trixie had gone on her way to try and get some inside poop on the hoity-toity set. I'd crossed the street and sat on the steps of the church with my eyes on those big double doors. I was working for Nicholas Franklin, and Rustin already liked him for an insurance caper, 
so that made me a suspect too. Fortunately, I'd been joined in intervals by the father, who I'd done a good turn for a few years back, a little old lady feeding the birds, and a seven-year-old from across the street who was looking at becoming a detective once he turned nine. In this fashion was the innocence of Jack Justice established, for the moment. After a couple hours of watching, Bradford had returned to the gallery, let himself in, and emerged after ten seconds screaming blue murder. Twenty minutes later, as the statement of my erstwhile associate in the short pants was being collected, Franklin returned to the gallery with the itinerary of the European trip, and no convincing explanation for why it had taken him nearly three hours to return. He immediately took my place as the object of Rustin's unwanted attention. They took him downtown under protest. A man from Franklin's insurance agency came in with his pants on fire and screamed at Rustin for twenty minutes and counting, and my new partner's mother came to get him for dinner. Fortunately, my old partner chose that moment to drop by. I leave you alone for a few hours. Thanks for that, by the way. It's a 20-foot piece of jagged metal. How long did it take to interview one critic? Are you saying this is my fault? Are you saying that it's mine? Hey, you two! We're trying to do some police work here! Swell. Jack, how did this happen? Of course, I actually know the answer to that, Trixie. I'm just trying to help 40 cops make a little overtime because I'm a good guy. Did you watch the doors? Of course! That's what I did wrong. Jack! Of course I watched the doors. It was the middle of the afternoon. Who's going to sneak out with a giant statue without being noticed? Who's in charge? Rustin. Robbery. Know him? Rustin? He arrest our client yet? More or less. Rustin's one of those cops that automatically assumes the victim is a criminal. He'd make a lousy homicide man, but he does all right in robbery. Why would Nick Franklin steal a statue from himself for a couple hundred grand in insurance that he figures to sell for millions? Because he'd never have got that much. The reviews were written in Paris, so just being translated for the opening tomorrow. Is that a fact? That's what they say. Well, it wouldn't be the first time a client set us up. So what do we do? We find the statue, preferably before the morning edition goes to bed. We've got our own reviews to think of. You under arrest? Nah, I think they've forgotten about me. Never seen so many blue suits. You should see them holding back the press. They're calling it the theft of the century. They're only saying that because someone got a two-ton statue out a busy street in front of a priest, a pensioner, and a paperboy. Which one are you? Shut up. So it didn't come out the door. What about the skylight? With what? Two zeppelins and a flying elephant? Besides, I've been up there. Not a mark to be found but cop boots. Fine. Then it went out the back. That little door? Come on. <sighs> Jack, jump down here and look at this. <sighs> piece of wood? Sure. A piece of wood with a mark on it. A mark like a heavy door would make. So Franklin props the back door open, goes out the front with us, comes round the back, cuts up the statue with a torch, which explains the smell, and carts it out the back into a waiting truck. What do you think? I hate it. Why? Did Nicholas Franklin strike you as a simpleton? If you were trying to fake a robbery for the insurance money, you might hire a private eye anyway, right? Sure, make it look good. But if you cared about making it look good... Wouldn't you try a little harder to make it look like an actual robbery? Rustin's not an idiot. He's figured out everything we have. The only reason he's still here is he can't believe Franklin was that stupid. Statues don't just disappear. It's a bad caper. It's a great story. The press is going to sell this one for weeks. Yeah. Yeah. And what makes better copy? Mediocre statue cut up for scrap? Or brilliant masterpiece disappears without a trace? Jack. Yeah. Let's take a stroll out front. What do you say? You can't see a thing down that alley from out here on the street. Nope. And look at those cops canvassing over there. Looking for people who saw the truck leave. Don't seem to be having much luck. Mind you, they've got the wrong suspect. They're still looking for exactly what we're looking for. So how are we going to find it first? You should know me better than that by now. I guess so. 
So how are we gonna find it first? We're gonna cheat. Darn tootin'. There he is. Bradford! Mr. Bradford! Just Bradford. Oh, it's you. Ladies and gentlemen of the press, these are the detectives that were hired to protect my masterpiece. Yes, sir, but we have reason to believe now that Thor's hammer was not simply stolen, but destroyed and carted out the back alley. That's absurd. Why would anyone do such a thing? We're not sure, but the owner of the truck that was spotted carrying the remains of your statue away is in police custody now. Now, he hasn't talked yet, but if he doesn't, and soon, he's looking at prison for the rest of his life. No. It may be impossible to recover this brilliant piece of art, but I promise all of you, this madman will pay for his terrible crime. No! The police have ways of dealing with scum like this. No! It wasn't him. It was me. He was only helping me. Bradford was trying to rewrite his reviews. He couldn't face his failure all over again, but he knew that people were waiting to be told what their opinion was, and if enough of them believed that Thor's hammer was a lost masterpiece, that was the next best thing to it being true. It might buy him another shot, or at least save him from the shame of it. I felt sorry for the poor kid myself. Jack, he just pulled the brim of his hat down and reminded me that we'd saved our client from prison and our agency's reputation, such as it was. And we'd done it all without anyone shooting at us. Take your good reviews where you can get them, he said. I pretended I didn't feel bad for the poor little loser. She bought it, I guess. Didn't matter. People gamble with crime when they reckon that they've got nothing left to lose. And they drag down the people that still care about them in the process. Bradford knew how to work a torch. He had plenty of opportunity to prop the door. He knew the spots where his statue was weakest, where a few quick cuts would bring it down. He could do everything but carry it away himself. Luckily for him, he had a brother with a truck. Luckily for us, Bradford still cared about his brother. And that was it. I bluffed. He folded. Doesn't mean I didn't feel bad for the kid. But that's what you get when you gamble with a guy named Black Jack. Blackjack Justice, Episode 10, Hammer of Justice, was written and directed by Greg Taylor and starred Christopher Mott and Andrea Lyons with additional voices provided by Peter Nickel, Stephen Burley, and Greg Taylor. This recording and the story, characters, and situations depicted within are the property of their author and creator and protected by copyright. Until next time, remember, DecoderRingTheater.com is your address to adventure. Hey everyone, it's Mark from Leap Audio. I'm here to tell you about something really exciting. July 24 through 26 of 2020, Halifax, Nova Scotia, we are gathering together 
in the world's first international modern audio drama convention and family reunion. Inspired in part by the living, loving memory of our dear friend Bill Hallwake, we're bringing together writers, producers, actors, and our fans for workshops, seminars, and even live performances. So join us, won't you? Go to madcon.com. That's www.mad-con.com for more information. I hope to see you in Halifax in 2020.